Hello, and welcome to Brands Unbridled, a podcast brought to you by StoryHorse. We are a Chicago-based branding house with the strategic know-how and creative muscle to build brands that not only make an impact, they last. You can learn more about us at storyhorsebranding.com. Brands Unbridled is our platform to ask big questions, hear from great brands, and get a pulse on what's new and what's next in the industry. I'm Liza Nikitas, Managing Director of StoryHorse, and I am so excited to be joined today by Zeke Bronfman, the CEO of Crossed Beverages, a company he co-founded alongside his college best friend, Nate Meadow. Today, we're going to dig into how the company got started, what's next for the growing brand portfolio, and what advice Zeke may have for anyone seeking to embark on their own entrepreneurial journey. So welcome, Zeke. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here today. Yeah, so let's dive right in. Um, Like so many of the most successful companies, Crossed got its start in a dorm room. So can you give us the cliff notes on how it all came about? Definitely. So honestly, this really came out of a genuine need. It wasn't something that we wanted to you know, sit down in a room and say, we're going to create a business. Let's figure out what it's going to be. It genuinely came from a shared experience and a gap we were seeing in the market and something that we wanted to fill. So my co-founder, Nate, and I met when we were in college. And pretty quickly on, we started going to a lot of these college parties. And we realized very quickly that at all these events, the only option for drinking was value beer. And each for our own reasons, that didn't really work for us. I had grown up, my family's been in the alcohol business for four generations. I grew up drinking a lot of these really robust, authentic tasting spirits with my grandfather. And I missed that experience. And so I started making a lot of really great cocktails that I would bring out for myself in little mini portable containers before going out. And what I didn't realize was that these cocktails had 350 calories, 40 grams of sugar, 40 grams of carbs. And my co-founder and best friend at the time, Nate, is both a type one diabetic and he's an athlete. He was a college rugby and football player. And so he really wanted to have that authentic, delicious flavor profile, but he couldn't sacrifice on the carbs, the calories, the sugar. Um, And so the two of us went out onto the market looking for alternatives that combined the best of both worlds and had that authentic, robust tasting flavor profile I was looking for, but came in that better for you format that Nate demanded. And what we realized was nothing on the market checked both of these boxes at the same time. And so We went back to our dorm room. We started mixing delicious cocktails for ourselves that didn't have any of the sugar, the extra calories, or the carbs. And before we knew it, we were making this for 30, 40, 50 of our friends every weekend and started to go about commercializing it, building out our infrastructure. And before we knew it, we had launched our first and our second brands um, in this space. But I think it all started with recognizing that genuine, genuine need and going to fill that problem for ourselves before we thought about being actually uh, startup founders or anything like that. Wow, it's a pretty unique origin story. I, I, sure, I speak for myself and probably many uh, former college students when I say that I certainly wasn't bringing my own, you know, remixed um, gourmet cocktails to frat parties. That's for sure. So I'm sure you guys were quite popular. You probably didn't go to college somewhere quite as remote as Williams. So we we had uh, <laughs> a lot of time on our hands. You know, you mentioned you are from a long line of of sort of beverage entrepreneurs. So this this type of business building is really in your blood and really drove you to um, kind of strike out on your own in, in this space. But are there any other skill sets that you think are really critical to, um, you know, venturing out on your own, forging a path for yourself and launching a brand in a market, especially one that is saturated with potentially um, other similar brands? Yeah. So first of all, I would say off the bat that my inspiration for this space was certainly not um, 
spurred on by my family having been in it. I think, in fact, it was something that um, I always kind of shied away from. I never wanted to go into the family business or anything. Um, And it genuinely came out of, as I was saying, something that happened by chance. Nate and I saw this real market gap and we wanted to fill that and, and saw a true opportunity to go out and build something rather than, you know, trying to figure out something to do in this space specifically. So that was kind of just on the initial motivation front. On the um, second question about what it kind of takes to, or what's an important attribute to have in order to do something in the entrepreneurial space like this, I think the number one most important things, thing is resilience, hands down, because it, no matter how successful of an entrepreneur you are, along the way, there are thousands and thousands of little failures that you have to, you know, take in stride, continue pushing through and figure out a way around. And if you're not somebody who's willing to go to bed, not knowing how the business is going to continue running the next day, but wake up and just figure it out, um, you're not cut out for this kind of a job. So it's, it's tough. It's stressful. Some days we feel like we're on top of the world. And some days we feel like we have no idea what the next day is going to bring. Um, but we're used to that. And it's something that we're, we're becoming more comfortable with living with every day. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly, you can't have the highs without the lows, right? You got to have those moments of panic and where, where things are a little scary is where you learn. Um, we had a uh, founder of Protein Bar, Matt Matros on our podcast a few episodes back and uh, something he shared that I loved that's kind of become my own personal mantra is fail hard, fail fast. <laughs> um, it's inevitable. So uh, make your way through it and, and learn from it. Absolutely. So uh, you guys launched Crossed in January um, of 2021, but I'd love to know what your experience was like prior to launch, um, knowing that you spent roughly two years building out your distribution network, your sales channels, marketing, kind of what was, what was that first um, stint like before you officially launched in terms of coming up with the name, um, you know, all that sort of foundational stuff that goes into building a brand? Yeah, I would say looking back on it, that was some of the most fun times we had, but also some of the times when, you know, we were, we had no idea what we were doing. And looking back now at all we've learned since then, I I don't think if we had known on day one, how much we didn't know, I don't think we ever (laughs) would have, you know, gone ahead with this. And ignorance is bliss sometimes. Completely. It really is. We sort of just put one foot in front of the other and accomplished the next task. And then before we knew it, we, we had this finished product ready to go. And I think that was the time when we were getting so excited about this idea that we were spending kind of every minute of spare time working on it. We weren't doing this full time at the time. Um, it was more of a, a hobby that we were looking into when we were you know, in between classes. And we would spend all of our waking hours formulating in our rooms, refining the process, refining the recipes, testing out different samples. Um, we would have our friends t- try different samples, give us detailed notes. And then we did a ton of market research. But I would say the most crucial thing that we did throughout this initial period is we built our network. And this wasn't something that we did intentionally. It was something that sort of happened by chance. We initially started by saying, well, first of all, if we're going to do this, we need to speak to everyone who has any experience, any relevant knowledge, and get their perspective. And then we spoke to 10 or 15 people we could think of. And each one of them said, I have three people for you to speak to. And before we knew it, we had a really big Rolodex of people who are relevant in the space, wanted to help out, were willing to be um, resources and advisors and share advice. And that's something that I think was the most crucial thing ever, because as we've grown over the next three years, it's given us a real network of people we can go back to and um, look to for different aspects. And so that was really the first like six months. We called everyone we knew, got as much advice possible, collected as much market data as possible, played around with the recipes to get them as good as possible, played around with branding, brand names, 
um, and then started to try to get that to all come together as cheaply and as bootstrapped as humanly possible before we went out and raised some money. Can you share any uh, company names that landed on the cutting room floor? There were a bunch. Um, the one that we really wanted to go to with was Mixter or Mixed, M-I-X-T, something along those lines. Um, we couldn't get the trademark for it. Um, so we pivoted pretty quickly. There were a bunch of others we really liked. At one point, Breezy, something combining like bartending made easy. Um, okay. There was nothing that we ever fell in love with, though, and had to abandon. Got it. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So your first brand, Undercrossed, um, Sesh, was created to fill a gap in the market between, get ready for these acronyms, RTDs and FMBs. Uh, for you lay people, that's ready-to-drink beverages and flavored malt beverages. How did you kind of come up with the specific branding for that product in particular? It's super simplistic, but really impactful. Um, how, did, how did that one come, kind of get born? Yeah. So that brand, and this is probably not the way you're supposed to do this. So I'm going to caution with, this may not be the best advice, but the truth <laughs> is the way that this really came about was Nate and I really built this brand for ourselves and for you know the audience that we felt we occupied, which was a group of people who really wanted the health benefits of a, or the you know lack of health detriments from a spike seltzer, we appreciate mm-hmm. the 100-calorie format, the zero sugar, the light, refreshing nature of the seltzers, but we refuse to have the you know boring fruit flavor, more of the same seltzers, and we are demanding that more robust, more flavor-forward, more nuanced, more complex um, flavor-profiled drinks. And I think that that type of consumer is becoming more and more common. There's more and more people who are focused on health and wellness, not because they're diabetic, not because they need to be for a health reason, Um, but because health and wellness is becoming more and more of a focus of everybody's lives as we go along. Um, But as health and wellness is becoming more and more of a focus, I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that there shouldn't be any compromises within health and wellness, right? If you can go out and have a delicious box of candy with zero sugar, which you can now, you should be able to have a delicious cocktail that's just as, you know, zero sugar, all natural ingredients, low-cal, low-carb. And so that's really where we're coming in and focusing on that. And in terms of the branding, we really thought about creating simplistic, accessible luxury because we want to create an experience of high-end cocktails, but we want to do it in a format that's just as accessible and just as affordable as any of the other seltzers on the market. So we thought about how do we create an experience of luxury, an experience of high quality, um, and do it in a format that's the same price point as something else. And so we want to stand out on the shelf. We want to use matte black packaging, which is super different from all the kind of like sea of white with color splotches we're seeing of the other seltzers. Um, we also want to go with a standard 12-ounce beer can versus the more typical like Spike Seltzer Slim 12-ounce can um, because we felt that that was a way of standing out and feeling more like a cocktail or a beer versus a Spike Seltzer. So there are a bunch of subliminal little things we did on that sense. Um, but I think the most important thing we did was really make our flavors the heroes. So our biggest image on our packaging, the biggest thing you'll see is the Mojito, Moscow Mule, Tequila Paloma call-out versus the brand call-out. And if you see it, you'll also know it's a Sesh cocktail, but the brand recognition, name recognition of these cocktails and the affinity for these cocktails is so high. And right now we're a small brand, right? We haven't yet gotten to the point where everyone knows what a Sesh is. And so when people see Moscow Mule and they see that at the same time, it's being offered at you know a third the calories, zero sugar and all natural ingredients compared to its competitors, um, that's really what jumps out at people on shelf. It's interesting what you're saying about, you know, even the the size of the can being 
a very intentional choice to kind of send a message that people may not even realize they're receiving. So after you launched Sesh earlier this year, you took the next step to expand cross offerings by creating and launching Happy Saki, which our team at Story Horse was honored to have partnered with, with you guys on to um, help build that brand. So why, uh, why a Saki-based seltzer? Yeah. So first of all, thank you guys so much for your help on that. We've gotten unbelievable feedback on all the branding. Really excited about that. Great and to, to first answer the question of why launching multiple brands, and then I'll answer the question of why this is our specific next brand. So sure. what we realized as we were launching and building Sesh was that we spent a ton of time, energy, and money building up a really strong infrastructure to support that brand from our amazing sales team to our great infrastructure on the supply chain and manufacturing side to our marketing team, tying that all together to be able to you know, fund and bring brands to market, scale them, grow them, and introduce them. Um, we realized that with that infrastructure we had built, it made a lot of sense for us to not just use that to support one brand, but to launch a portfolio of beverages that would take advantage of that infrastructure and be able to plug into that system we had built of sales, distribution, marketing, um, to scale that portfolio of brands. And so sure. that brings us to what our second brand is, which is Happy Sake. And there are a couple of reasons we're so excited about this. So first of all, we generally see sake as the alcohol that's about to have its moment. Um, in the same way that tequila and mezcal did over the last 10 years or so, we see it's on that precipice of an explosion. And so We've, for the last year or so, been looking at how do we get into the sake space. And so as we were doing that, we were doing a lot of market research. And one of the statistics that jumped out to us is that 85% of sake is still consumed on premise at Japanese restaurants. And so what we started to ask is, well, why is that? And how do we create a sake that is accessible in the off-premise and actually built up through the independent and chain grocery and liquor business, um, which is the vast majority of, of the sales of our types of products in the U.S.? And so we started to realize that a huge amount of the reason for that was because people aren't familiar with sake. Most of the branding is, is not relatable. It's not familiar. It's foreign and it's served from a, you know, you're asking advice of a waiter, which sake you want rather than actually understanding the differences between them yourself. And so that leads to a lot of confusion. No one knows the difference between a ginjo, a junmai dai ginjo, um, like they would between different types of wine. And so it leads to a lot of excitement, interest, but also confusion. So people aren't yet taking their curiosity for sake and bringing it into that off-premise. And so we wanted to put it into a format that was accessible, relatable, super familiar. And what better to do that in than the Spike Seltzer format or the RTD format, um, which consumers are super related to, super comfortable with, and familiar purchasing all the time now. And then the second thing that we realized was this trend of sake was happening at the exact same time as the explosion of different spirit-based RTDs. So you have tequila-based sodas, you have vodka-based sodas, you have a bunch of different ones across the spectrum that are really just growing hugely in popularity and taking more and more market share right now, but no one has used sake yet. So we felt that sake was really the last frontier in that spirit-based RTD space, and we wanted to be the ones first to that space and really owning it. There are also some really nice regulatory advantages to sake and that it's classified like a beer for production um, and then shipped like a wine for direct-to-consumer purposes, which helped us on both ends. Um, but this all starts with our excitement for the space of sake and our really huge opportunity that we thought we, we saw here by bringing sake out of the traditional format and putting it into a spike seltzer. Nice. So you talked, uh, when we were speaking about Sash, you mentioned, you know, uh, going with the 12-ounce size, the matte black, you know, primary color um, with, you know, the just the splashes here and there. 
the happy sake visual identity is pretty different. Um, it's, you know, it's a different product, makes sense. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, how the look sort of uh, encapsulates the product itself? Yeah, absolutely. So the Sesh product and brand is meant to be slightly more sophisticated. It's meant to be a little bit more serious. It's meant to be for people who are looking for that full flavor alternative, right? It's not someone who's looking for a let me drink something that I can't taste the alcohol and get as drunk as possible. It's meant for someone who appreciates the nuances and the flavors of cocktails, who appreciates the full spectrum of that alcoholic experience and wants to actually taste that. So it's not meant for the party lifestyle as much. It's not meant for, you know, that super loud, you know, club environment. It's much more meant Mm -hmm. for bringing people together and, you know, enjoying, as I was saying, accessible luxury. So we were trying to bring that experience forward with the Sesh packaging, making it very simple and very elegant. Um, And then on the happy side, that whole brand identity is really about uplifting and happiness. It's all about joy, positivity. And so we really want to bring that to life with that packaging and make it feel bubbly, exciting, um, and get that message of joy and positivity across through the packaging. Um, and I think that's really where we went with that kind of lighter, more fun, more bright colored packaging on the happy side. It's targeting a slightly different consumer. Um, and the way we think about the consumer is kind of the occasions where we're going to be targeting them and the settings where they're going to be drinking it versus who that type of person is. Because I think there are times when I'm a sesh person and there are times when I'm a happy person. It's not like I have one type of thing that I'm going to be drinking all the time. Sure. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Targeting sort of moments rather than than people. You have a few more brands up your sleeve launching soon. What can you tell us about those? We do. So right now, we are very focused on executing Session Happy. We want to make sure that these two brands are grown. We want to make sure that we scale them properly and that we don't stretch ourselves too thin. Having said that, there are some other really exciting things on the horizon, brands that we hope to launch soon. Um, I can't get into too much detail, but one of them oh, is on. a really exciting come thing on. in the health and wellness <laughs> space, which we really um, we're, we're really excited about. Um, it's non-alcoholic health and wellness brand um, that probably will not be launching um, for another year or so at least. Um, there's another brand in the um, coffee space actually that we're looking at, at getting involved in, which I think could be super super interesting. Nice. Um, but again, would be a little bit down the line. In the short term, there's nothing that we're going to be launching in the next six months other than Session Happy. Um, We have some flavor innovations coming, some packaging innovations coming. Um, But then other than that, we will be really sick to these two brands until early 2023 when we plan to launch um, one of these new innovation items, either in the health and wellness space, the coffee space, or one or two other beverage alcohol brands that we've been looking at as well. Awesome. The work never ends. You know, it's like you just launched Happy Saki and it's still like there's there's so much more to do and got to keep kind of improving improving on itself. That's awesome. We here at Story Horse um, are all about brand taglines and that extends to personal taglines too. So we always like to end our Brands Unbridled episodes with the same question. And that is, if you had a personal tagline, and perhaps you do, what would it be? That's a really good question. I definitely don't have one pre-prepared. And off the top of my head, what I would say, and this may just be the theme of my week, which is why I'm saying it now, but I would say do the little things well is the most important thing. Um, It all starts with the little things and it's impossible to have the big ideas come together if you can't do the little things well. And so I would really say like, it's easy to get lost in the 
wow, this is an unbelievable idea. Here are the big steps to get there. Um, it's a lot harder to day in, day out, grind out the little things that make those big pictures come to life. So that would be my my tagline for sure. Well, Zeke, for not having a tagline prepared, you came up with a pretty damn good tagline, I have to say. But Appreciate it's all about it. the little things. You know, I feel like you, uh, when you think you're not, when you when you think you're not accomplishing something big, like all you really have to do is look at all the little things you're doing and realize 100%. like that is that is the big thing. That's it right there. Totally. Um, awesome. Well, thank you, Zeke, so much for joining us today. This has been a really interesting conversation. I, for one, am leaving thirstier than when I came and I'm really excited to see all the awesome innovations that are no doubt going to come from you guys at Crossed over the next couple years and beyond. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Please go on happysaki.com or drinksesh.com to find stores near you or order online. And I look forward to speaking again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Zeke. And yeah, the uh, we I was one of the first to uh, get my hands on the Happy Saki in particular. It is delicious. I love all three flavors. The Yuzu Green Tea is my personal favorite. little plug Thank there. You. Um, yeah, it's delicious. Easy drinking. Great, good time. So thanks again, Zeke, for joining us. And thanks to you all for listening. 